personal testimonies of that kind of transformation. Most of you probably recognize the guy we're going to put on the screen for you right now. Let's get his face up there. You recognize this guy? He's been in several blockbusters in the last few years, including Jurassic World and Guardians of the Galaxy and more recently Avengers Endgame. He's one of the most popular actors in Hollywood, these names. His name is Chris Pratt. Chris Pratt is a man who's highly sought sought after in Hollywood. He's, uh, like I said, one of the most popular actors. But something you may not know about Chris Pratt is he is a Christian and he's a very outspoken Christian. Chris Pratt wasn't always that way, though. He grew up in a poor family, working class family, wasn't particularly religious growing up. In high school, he played football, wrestled, participated in school dramas. And as a young man, for a short time, he was living in Hawaii. And while he was living in Hawaii, he worked for the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. So he was working at the Bubba Gump restaurant, and he was doing what a lot of young men do these days. He was partying. He was experimenting with drugs and alcohol. And on one particular day, he went to a grocery store in town, just doing some of his normal shopping. And his plans for later that day were to go to a party, get drunk, and hook up with some cute girl. That's what his plans were for that day. But as he was there at that grocery store, a stranger came up to Chris Pratt, and that stranger walked up and said this to him. Jesus told me to talk to you. Now, Chris Pratt was taken back a bit, but in his own words, this is how he said that that moment went down. Chris Pratt says, at that moment, I was like, I think I have to go with this guy. He took me to church. Over the next few days, I surprised my friends by declaring that I was going to change my life. Chris Pratt ended up giving his life to Christ. And within a short amount of time, he got some connections in Hollywood and his acting career took off and the rest is history. Hollywood isn't exactly a hotbed of Christianity, is it? It's normally a place that we think is kind of a moral wasteland, but isn't it encouraging to know that there are Christians outspoken about their faith swimming against the tide there in Hollywood? Chris Pratt's not alone. There's also Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey is an outspoken Christian in Hollywood, well-known these days for hosting Family Feud. What about Patricia Heaton? Probably best known for Everybody Loves Raymond, Raymond's wife on that sitcom, more recently starred in the middle. Popular actress Patricia Heaton, also an outspoken Christian. How about Roma Downey? Best known for her role as Monica the Angel in the series Touched by an Angel, and more recently she and her husband produced the Bible miniseries that was so popular just a few years ago. But these four are not alone. There's also my man, Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris, also an outspoken Christian in Hollywood. You'd never know that by looking at his sidekick. But Chuck Norris is an outspoken Christian in Hollywood. And some of you probably remember that just a few years ago, Chuck Norris tough guy jokes were all the rage on the Internet. And when I mention Chuck Norris, I can't resist sharing with you that says, when Chuck Norris goes for a swim, he doesn't get wet. The water gets Chuck Norris. And then my favorite of all time, favorite Chuck Norris joke, here it is. Chuck Norris doesn't use the force. The force uses... Oh, you've heard that one before, huh? I love those little jokes, but I, you know when it comes down to it, I love most of all that Chuck Norris and so many others swim against the tide and stand for Christ in a place where not many people are willing to do that. 
You see, Hollywood doesn't have a hall of faith. If it had a hall of faith, possibly Roma Downey, possibly Chuck Norris, maybe Chris Pratt would be a part of that hall of faith. But Hollywood doesn't have one. But you know what does is the Word of God. In the Word of God in the New Testament in Hebrews chapter 11, we're given a hall of faith. It's a hall of fame of those in the Old Testament who stood for God even when no one else wanted to. Even when no one else was willing to. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to dive into Hebrews chapter 11 and look at some of these great heroes of the faith. Does that sound like a plan? Amen. So we need you to have a Bible in hand. Uh, Today we've got those Bibles in the rack in front of you. If you didn't bring a Bible with you today, we encourage you to bring one with you next week. If you do not have a Bible of your own, let Amber know at the back table after service. And we'd love to send you home with at least a free New Testament today. In the meantime, make sure you grab one of those blue Bibles. Uh, Frank has a few extras in back. If you don't see one in the rack, you can just raise your hand. Also, we have message notes for you today. They're at the end of your aisle. So if you're sitting there at the aisle and see those message notes, just pass them down if anyone wants one. We encourage you to fill in some blanks and jot down some notes during the message today. It's just another way that the Word of God can sink deeply into our minds and hearts as we study His Word together today. So we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. If you're using one of those blue Bibles, uh, please turn to page 1191, page 1191. If you're using the blue Bibles, the rest of you Hebrews is a little more than three quarters of the way through your Bible. Hebrews 11, starting in verse 1. This morning, we're going to take a closer look at one of the heroes of our faith that I'm guessing some of you have never even heard of. But he's right there in Hebrews 11, One of the heroes of faith from the Old Testament, his name was Enoch, and he was an impactor in his generation. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you, and we thank you for this opportunity we have here in this room today to study your word. God, you are an awesome, awesome God. And Lord, we believe that you had this word in mind for us even before we were born, And Lord, you wanted to teach us something about Enoch today. So Lord, would you please open my mind and open my heart to what you want to teach me? Would you open our minds and our hearts to what you want to teach us? And I pray that my words would not get in the way of your word. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, we're going to learn about Enoch today. Okay, someone clapped in front. We're going to learn about Enoch today. All right. So we are in Hebrews chapter 11. We'll be starting in verse 1. If you're there, say amen. All right, here we go. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for. It's certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commanded as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith, he still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently and earnestly seek Him. May God bless us as we study His Word today. 
As Christians, we, we talk about faith a lot, don't we? We talk about having faith in God. We talk about uh, having faith in Jesus Christ. We talk about uh, being consistent and, and true to our faith. We talk about living out our faith, sharing our faith, restoring our faith, just to name a few. But it's important to all of us that we understand what faith really is. And one of the best definitions the Bible ever gives of faith is right here in the first verse of this chapter. Let's look at it again together. In verse 1 it says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. I want us to meditate on those words for a few moments. Being certain of what we hope for, being certain of what we do not see. In other words, faith is the solid foundation for our hope and the conviction that something is real even if I can't see it with my own eyes. Amen? It's a conviction that something is real even if I can't see it. It's a foundation for our hope. Our hope isn't just floating around out there. I, I hope I go to heaven someday. I hope everything works out okay. I hope that God is real and the Word of God is true. Faith is the foundation from which our hope springs forth. I don't know about you, but when I'm playing outside with my nine-year-old and I jump, I'm never concerned about floating off into outer space when I jump. How about you? I, I've never had that concern when I'm outside and I jump, oh, there I go, I'm floating off in outer space, they'll never see me again. I have complete faith that gravity works, right? I don't even have to think about it. I don't know about you, but when I go to bed at night, I don't have to worry about whether or not my heart will keep palpitating in my chest throughout the night, even when I'm asleep. Because God has created a little something in me called a central nervous system. And my heart will continue to beat even if I'm not telling it to, even if I'm not even thinking about it, it continues to be, doesn't it? And the same goes for our breathing and 101 other things that our central nervous system does without you or me even thinking about it. Isn't God amazing? We live by faith every day in the physical, and it's even more important that we live by faith in the spiritual if we as Christians are going to become spiritually mature and successfully serve God's purpose in our own generation, it's vital that we have a strong faith in God and in His Word. Amen? It's vital for our spiritual health and for our relationship with Christ. With that in mind, I love how Warren Wearsby defines biblical faith. We're going to spend a few minutes on this because this definition, I think, is so powerful. Wearsby writes, True Bible faith is confident obedience to God's Word in spite of circumstances and consequences. Could you read that with me? True Bible faith is confident obedience to God's Word in spite of circumstances and consequences. Great, now everyone. True Bible faith is confident obedience to God's Word in spite of circumstances and consequences. I think there are three nuggets of powerful truth in this little definition. Let's look at each of these. First of all, it's not true biblical faith if our faith doesn't include obedience. It's not true biblical faith unless our faith includes obedience. So if you and I claim to be living out our faith, but we are not walking in obedience to God's Word, I've got news for you, that ain't faith. Faith, by definition, must 
include obedience. If we're disobeying God's commands, guess what? We're not living out our faith. Faith and obedience always go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. Over the years, I've met with couples on several occasions that were living together, and uh, the couple's talking to me in my office, and they'll say, you know what? Uh, We prayed about it, and God said it's okay if we live together. Huh, that's interesting, because the Word of God says something completely different. So somehow we have this idea that if we have this faith in God, then we can pretty much do whatever the heck we want to do. It doesn't work that way. That's not faith in God, right? If God says do it, we. If God says don't do it, we. Oh, you guys have heard this before. It's not that complicated, is it? Obedience and faith always, always go hand in hand. The second part of this definition that's so good, he says it's not true biblical faith if our obedience isn't confident. Our obedience must be confident, amen? Confident. Say that with me. Confident. With confidence. Say it with me. Confident. Our obedience and our faith must be confident. Have you ever found yourself obeying one of God's commands? But as you're obeying God's commands under your breath, you're saying, I don't know about this. This is a really bad idea, God. This isn't going to work. Let's be honest. Ever said that to God under your breath? Some of you are not being honest today. We probably all have at some point. God, I'll do what you say, but I don't think this is going to work at all. But think about it. Who has asked us to carry out that command? The creator of the universe. And the creator of the universe knows what he's doing, right? When he tells us to do something, he knows what he's talking about. And we can be fully confident that when the creator of the universe asks us to do something, we will be in really good shape if we do it. We can trust the creator of the universe. He is faithful. We can trust him and we can obey him. Confidently, The third part of that definition Wearsby gives that I think is so good. It's not true biblical faith if our obedience fluctuates depending on circumstances and consequences. There are far too many fair-weather Christians in our world today. Would you agree? You know what a fair-weather Christian is, right? I will be a Christian. I will follow God when it's convenient. I will be a Christian... I will obey God's commands as long as no one calls me names. But if people start calling me names, I'm going to back off and kind of do my own thing and just try to blend in with the crowd. There's a lot of fair-weather Christians in our country today. When it's convenient to do so, I'll obey God's Word. When I'm not being criticized or losing friends because of my faith, I'll live out my faith boldly. No, that's not true biblical faith. True biblical faith is confident obedience to God's Word in spite of circumstances and in spite of consequences. In fact, that's when our true faith really comes alive, isn't it? When you're going through a situation where your health is terrible, someone in your family has been diagnosed with cancer, you're dealing with a death in your family, that's when it's hard to cling to God and trust God, but that's when it's the most vital to do so. We have to cling to our faith and cling to God if our faith is authentic and real, especially when the circumstances aren't great and especially when we're losing friends 
where people are criticizing us or calling us names. And as I like to mention to you every once in a while, our country is not moving closer and closer to God, is it? As we look at our nation, it seems to be moving further and further from God. So the days are coming where it's not just going to be the pastors that take persecution, but many of you will likely be persecuted for your faith. And now is the time to decide in your heart of hearts, if the criticism comes, if the persecution comes, if I lose friends, even if I have some family members say, I don't want to talk with you, I don't want to come over for Thanksgiving anymore, because I'm sick about hearing about your faith. Even if it comes to that point, today is the day to decide I am going to confidently live out my faith and obey Jesus Christ regardless of the cost. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that, Lord, because my faith is real. Enoch was a man of faith who demonstrated confident obedience to God's word in spite of circumstances and consequences. The writer of Hebrews says this in verses 5 and 6 about Enoch. We read it a few moments ago. Let me read it for you again. Starting in verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So who was this man Enoch? Well, Enoch was the great grandfather of Noah. I think you all remember Noah, the guy that built the ark. Great flood came. Well, Enoch was Noah's great-grandfather. Enoch was also the seventh in generations from Adam. And so if you're to look at Genesis chapter 5, which we'll do in a moment together, in Genesis 5, we have ten generations recorded, starting with Adam. And the tenth generation from Adam is Noah. And good old Enoch is number seven. So he's seventh in line from Adam great-grandfather of Noah. And in Genesis 5, if you could turn there with me, please, we get the first mention of Enoch in the Bible. And it's a very short description of this man of faith. In fact, we learn a little bit more about Enoch by going to that passage we just read in Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 shares some things with us that even Genesis 5 doesn't when we first read Enoch's story. But in Genesis 5, in this chapter of of genealogies, Enoch stands out among those ten generations. And here in Genesis chapter 5, the fifth chapter in our Bibles, Genesis chapter 5, starting in verse 18, we start to read about Enoch. It says, When Jared had lived 162 years, he became the father of Enoch. And after he became the father of Enoch, Jared lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Jared lived 962 years, and then he died. He had a short little lifespan there, right? When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. How many men and ladies here today are at least 65? Okay, great. You're ready for another child. Are you excited about that? Congratulations. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Now, if you were to read this entire ten-generation genealogy here in Genesis 5, you would see that Enoch stands out in the crowd. 
Some of the wording used with Enoch is completely different than the wording you see in the other nine generations. And Enoch really stands out in three important ways. First of all, Enoch didn't just live, he walked with God. If you read through this chapter, you'll notice a repetition of words from generation to generation. For example, take a look at verse 4. It says in verse 4, After Seth was born, Adam lived 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Skipping down to verse 7. After he became the father of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Verse 10. After he became the father of Kenan, Enosh lived 815 years, had other sons and daughters. Verse 13. After he became the father of Mahalalel, Kenan lived 840 years and had other sons and daughters. You get the point. This pattern is repeated with Mahalalel in verse 16. It's repeated with Jared in verse 19. They live a certain number of years. They have a son. And then they live a certain number of years after that son before they die. But you look at verses 22 and 23, and the pattern is different here. That pattern is broken with Enoch. It says, starting in verse 22, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. And after he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked with God. 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Did you catch the difference there? Every other time, so-and-so lived Here, Enoch walked with God. Now, this pattern is broken here. And instead of lived, we have walked with God. Okay, that's nice, preacher. What's the point? Here's the point. God wants us to understand. He is telling us that there is a difference between walking with God and simply living. You weren't ready for that one yet, were you? Let me say that again. There is a difference between walking with God and simply living. Let's chew on that for a few moments. Most of the men who we find in Genesis chapter 5, in this genealogy of ten generations, most of these men merely lived. Uh, They worked, they married, they had kids, and they died. They merely lived. But they foolishly took a pass on the greatest privilege this side of heaven, the privilege and duty we have to walk with God. Amen? What an honor we have to walk with God. Now, what does it mean to walk with God? Well, for starters, to walk with God means to go in the same direction as God. To go in the same direction as God. And so, wherever God was headed, Enoch was heading also. Because he walked with God. If God was going over here, Enoch wanted to go over there. If God was doing such and such, Enoch wanted to be doing such and such. Because he was a man who valued going where God was going. He was going in the same direction as God. To walk with God also means to keep in step with God. To go at God's pace and to accept God's timing. Over the course of 300 years, Enoch followed God's pace and he followed and accepted God's timing. Now, we've talked about this before. Delayed obedience is what? It's disobedience, isn't it? Delayed obedience is? How about premature obedience? Premature obedience is? So, it's not just about obeying God, right? It's about obeying God in God's timing. 
And so what we find with Enoch, a man who walked with God, he didn't simply do what God told him to do. A lot of Christians do it like this. God says, I want you to go over there and share your faith with that person right now. And you say, sure, God. And you wait about an hour and then do it, right? Oops, the guy has left already. Sorry, I was going to obey you, God. It's not just about obeying God in my timing. I have to obey God in his timing. That's part of walking with God. And then the third part of walking with God, it means to be in agreement with God. Unlike his parents and grandparents and great-grandparents, Enoch's life wasn't one big fight against God. He aligned himself with God's plans and God's will and God's purpose. As the writer of Hebrews writes, Enoch was commended as one who pleased God. Isn't that good? He was commended as one who pleased God. Now, I hate to break it to you, but there are a lot of people living today in the United States of America who do not walk with God. There are a lot of people who do not walk in step with God at God's timing, carrying out God's plans and purpose. I've heard there are a few people in Washington, D.C. who don't walk with God. I've heard a vicious rumor that there are a few in Sacramento who don't walk with God. And we all know that you don't have to go all the way to Washington, D.C. or even all the way to Sacramento to find those that don't walk with God. All of us at times have said, God, I believe in you, but I'm not going to obey you right now. And that's a tragedy because God's ways are always best. And walking with God requires that we obey God and stay in step with God. Let me ask you, do you live or do you walk with God? Do you just live or do you walk with God? Is your life going in the direction that God wants it to go? Are you keeping in step with God? Are you obeying His perfect timing for you and your family? Are you in agreement with God's will and God's purpose for your life? If Jesus Christ were to speak to you in this room right now, would He commend you as one who pleases God? Like He commended Enoch. It's a great question for all of us. Do we just simply live or do we walk with God? The second way that Enoch stands out from the others in this list of ten generations. Number two, Enoch's years here on earth were fewer, but so much fuller than all of his grandparents' and ancestors' lives. His years were fewer, but so much fuller. If you look at the lifespans called out here in Genesis 5, they're pretty remarkable, aren't they? And we're not going to get into the, the whys as far as why people were living over 900 years back then. We'll... Maybe tackle that another day, but suffice it to say, the lifespans were much longer back then than they are today. But Enoch just lived on earth for 365 years. Or as some like to say, he lived for a year of years. 365 days in a year, 365 years in his life. That's kind of cool. And at 365 years, God said, enough. It's time to come home. So he, if you look at it, 365, from our vantage point, seems like a really long life. But compared to his dad and his grandparents, it was like a third of the length of their lives, right? Because they, most of them live in over 900 years. But when you think about it, how about Kenan? Kenan lived almost three times as long as Enoch did. Kenan lives, according to this chapter, he lived for 910 years. Can anyone tell me anything significant Kenan did during his 910 years of life? Anyone? <laughs> That's pretty good. Anything else? 
I can't think of anything else. How about Jared? What significant things did Jared do, do in his 962 years? Had sons and daughters other than that? There's nothing there. These guys lived a long time, but there's nothing there except for the names of one of their sons in each case. And so a longer life does not necessarily equate to a greater impact. Now this is a point I think God really wants to drive home with, especially some of us today, who may be wrestling with this whole idea of how long am I going to live? How long am I going to live? You know, when it comes down to it, we have no control over how long we're going to live. Just yesterday, I officiated a funeral for a 24-year-old young man that was killed off a main street in a major car accident. His car was totaled. Suffice it to say, he died immediately. And there I was, and over there at the chapel at Victor Valley, mortuary and the chapel was almost at standing room only of all of his friends and family that came out for that service. And you could tell in the room those people were devastated that this 24-year-old young man, his life suddenly ended. Some of us here worry a lot about how long we're going to live. Most of us would probably say, yeah, I'd love to live to be 90. But the reality is most of us will not make it to 90. I think we have Glenn back there today. Glenn's going to make it to 90. 95, right, Glenn? 96 now? He's trying to catch up with Methuselah. In all likelihood, most of us won't make it to 90. Realistically, over the next five to ten years, some of us will hear those terrible words from our doctor. It's cancer. Realistically, in the next five to ten years, some of us will deal with things like strokes, God forbid, aneurysms, major car accidents. And I don't say this to depress you. I say this because God does not guarantee us tomorrow. And so many people, including so many Christians, go through life so worried about the length of their life instead of living today with everything God's given us today. Living today And if He blesses me with tomorrow, living tomorrow for the glory of God. You see, some of the most impactful lives in all of human history were not long lives. Alexander the Great died at the age of 33 after conquering most of the known world. Amadeus Mozart, one of the most gifted and famous musicians of all time, died at just 35 Vincent Van Gogh, that famous artist, was just 37. Martin Luther King Jr. and the impactful difference he made in the United States of America. Martin Luther King Jr. was only 39. Joan of Arc, the military campaign that she led, she was only 19. And you've probably heard of the diary of Anne Frank. Anne Frank, only 15 years old. Like most of you, I hope to live a long life. But what is much more important than the number of years that I live is how much I put into those years for the glory of God. When you consider your own life, let me ask you, when you consider your own life, are you more focused on the number of your years or the fullness of your years? No matter how many years God gives you, make sure every one of them counts for the glory of God. 
There's one final way that Enoch stands out in the crowd here in Genesis 5. In fact, it's the one way he stands out that the writer of Hebrews latches onto in Hebrews 11, verse 5. Number three, unlike all of his ancestors, Enoch didn't die. Instead, God simply took him away. He didn't die. God simply took him away. If you look at the brief description of Enoch's dad and granddads in verses 5 through 20, you'll see another pattern in how the end of their lives is described. Once again, in verse 5, it says, Altogether, Adam lived 930 years and then he died. Verse 8, altogether, Seth lived 912 years and then he died. Verse 11, altogether, Enosh lived 905 years and then he died. The same goes for Kenan in verse 14. The same goes for Mahalalel in verse 17. And for Jared in verses 23 and 24. They lived a certain number of years and then they, then they died. But not Enoch. Verses 23 and 24, look at them again. Altogether, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God. Then he was no more because God took him away. Enoch and Elijah the prophet are the only two men in Scripture who never saw death. God took them directly to heaven. Enoch and Elijah the prophet, the only two. And many Christians believe that God gave us Enoch as a foretaste of what it's going to be like for Christians when Jesus raptures His church. You know, the New Testament tells us that Jesus is going to come back someday. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting in verse 15, Paul writes, According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Jesus Christ will come back someday. Amen. Jesus Christ will come back someday. And if you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, if you are part of the bride of Christ, the church of Christ, you will not see death like Enoch. You will be taken right up to God's presence in heaven. You will meet the Lord there in the air. But if Jesus does not rapture the church before you and I breathe our last, you know what I was thinking about this last week? Even if each of us in this room get to that point where our hearts stop beating and our lungs stop pumping oxygen and our brain waves become quiet, even if every one of us in that room get to that point, do you know we can still be like Enoch? We can be like Enoch and simply be taken away. After we have done all that God has called us to do, after we live every day that God has called us to live, and we walk by faith, obeying God's commands and fulfilling His purpose in our own generation, God, even for us, will simply take us away. Realistically, there's no real death for Christians. God simply takes us away. Let me ask you, do you have a plan to die one day or for God to simply take you away? Amen? Do you plan to die or for God to simply take you away? 
Your answer to that question has everything to do with whether or not you live your life on your terms or on His terms. You see, if you live your life on your terms, you will die. Just a reality. If you live life on your terms, you'll die. If you live your life on His terms, death will merely be a change of scenery. It's going to happen in a flash. In a moment. You'll breathe your last and simply the scenery will change. Now, the scenery is going to change in an amazing way. But the scenery will just change. You go from here to there. In the flash of an eye. In a moment. What an amazing thing that is to consider. Jesus will take you from here, if you're a believer and follower of His, and take you right into the presence of Almighty God. A little girl went to Sunday school one weekend, and guess what they were talking about that morning? They were telling the story of Enoch in that Sunday school class. And that little girl listened attentively, and she went home that afternoon, and her mom asked her the question at lunchtime, what did you learn in Sunday school today? And she said, I learned about Enoch. And here, in her own words, is the story of Enoch. Enoch used to take long walks with God. One day, he walked so far, God said, it's too far to go back. Come on home with me. That's what happened to Enoch. I don't know about you, but I want to take long walks with God. I want to take long walks with God. I've come so far to turn back now. I'm going to keep taking long walks with God until He calls me home. I'm going to keep walking by faith with God until He simply takes me elsewhere to heaven. And I hope that you would say the same. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to walk by faith. And as I walk by faith, as I serve God, as I fulfill His purpose in my own generation, I'm going to keep doing that every day that He gives me until He simply takes me away. I'm going to walk by faith and fulfill His purpose in my generation until that day comes when God simply calls me home. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank You for that example of Enoch. Thank You, Lord, for this man of faith who walked by faith and not by sight, who fulfilled Your purpose in his own generation, who walked in step with You in Your perfect timing for Your honor and glory, until that day came when you simply took him away. Oh Lord, I pray that be a description of my life. I pray that be a description for each of our lives in this room today. May we faithfully, obediently walk in step with you until you call us home. Until you take us from here and move us to there. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us the greatest privilege this side of heaven to walk with God. Help us to do that in Jesus' name. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, on any given Sunday, there are some of you who come today with a heavy heart. Some of you...
going through a valley right now, dealing with some challenges. And this is a day. This is a time. And we want to pray with you. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's that cancer diagnosis. Maybe it's a challenge with your kids or your parents, whatever it may be. We want to pray with you. If you're going through a tough time right now, you don't have to even let us know the specifics of it. If you just would raise your hand right now, we want to pray with you. See those hands. God bless you. Some of you are dealing with deaths in the family recently. I want to pray for you. See those hands. God bless you. God bless you. Let me pray with you. Lord, I lift up these who have been going through a tough time. Lord, I don't know the specifics, but you do. Some come into this place with heavy hearts, O God, and I pray that you would touch and bring healing to those hearts. Some, Lord, come with a lot of things on their mind and they're struggling, God. You know everything in their minds. Even before those thoughts popped in their heads, you knew they were there. Lord, I pray that you would be with those whose minds are racing. These who are coming today, Lord, even maybe some, Lord, that are watching our broadcast online today. Lord, and they've got a hundred things going through their minds and they can't even still their minds in the middle of the night. They're sleeping terribly, Lord, because they can't quiet their mind down. They're worried, they're concerned, they're grieving, they're hurting. Lord, would you be with them? Lord, be with these relationships that need healing in the name of Jesus. Be with physical bodies that need healing in the name of Jesus. Lord, be with the grieving process as some are making their way through that in the name of Jesus. Lord, I pray that they would come to You, each person, Lord, with these heavy burdens, and they would allow You to carry that burden because You say, Lord Jesus, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come to Me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give You rest for Your souls. Take My yoke upon You and learn from Me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And Lord, I pray for those that may be here today who have never made a clear, conscious decision to accept You as Lord and Savior. As our eyes are still closed, if there's anyone here, you know that you've never made a clear, unambiguous decision to accept Jesus Christ. You've been toying with God. You've been talking about God. You say, I am a person of faith, but you haven't been walking in obedience to God's commands. And so ultimately, if your life was to end today, you don't know for sure if you'd go to heaven. If you'd like me to pray with you, I'd love to pray with you right now. If you need to get right with God, maybe you've been backsliding. You need to rededicate your life. You can raise your hand as well. I see those hands. God bless you. God bless you. I'm going to pray for you right now. And I also encourage you to talk to one of our prayer counselors after the service and they can pray with you one-on-one as well. Let me pray with you. Lord, I lift up those whose hands have slipped into the air. Who, Lord, don't know for sure if their life ended, they would go to heaven. I thank You, Lord, that we don't have to play the guessing game. Your Apostle John wrote in 1 John 5.13, I write these things to you who trust in the name of God's Son, Jesus, so that you may know that you have eternal life. I thank you that there is a way to know for sure that when our life ends, whenever that may be, that we can go to heaven. So I pray for those, Lord, here today who do not know for sure. I pray that they would quietly in their hearts say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I trust in You as my Lord and my Savior. I ask that You would forgive my sins and help me to 
finally walk in obedience to your commands and stop living for myself and doing what I think I should do, but doing what you think I should do. And Lord, help me to boldly obey you by being baptized as you've commanded everyone who wants to follow Christ. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that we would walk in obedience to your command and that we would be changed from this point forward. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God is good, isn't he? And all the time, God is good. Wanted to let you know about a few quick things. We mentioned Watoto earlier, and we're going to show you a little video of Watoto in just a moment. But as a reminder, the big three for this week. Number one, baptisms. We're just two weeks away from our October baptism service. We're going to set up the portable baptistry on the back amphitheater steps after the service in two weeks. And if you are at that point where you're ready to accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, or maybe you've made that decision, but for whatever reason you were never baptized, uh, we want to talk to you today and make sure we're planning on you being here, and we'd love to baptize you in two weeks. As part of that, we're offering baptism classes today. We're going to have you grab a piece of pizza right after the service, and then we're going to make our way to the children's area, the STEM room over here. We have a class I'll be teaching at 11.30 for adults. And we have a class starting for kids at 1130 as well. So if your kids or you or your teenager want to be a part of learning more about what baptism is all about or what simply Jesus Christ and following him is all about, we'd love for you to grab a piece of pizza and stay with us in these classes. We've got extra chairs in there. We'd love for you to stay. So that's number one. Number two, we do want to remind you our community cleanup day is this Saturday. Please sign up with Amber at the back table. We need about 30 to help us. We're meeting here 8 a.m. sharp. On Saturday morning, wear your blue shirt. And then third, don't forget, uh, we've got Watoto. We still need a few host homes for those cute and awesome kids that are going to be at our George Boulevard location for a 7 o'clock concert a week from Friday. Here's a quick taste of Watoto. God bless you. Preacher forgot something. The servers are going to come with those offering bags right now. I think I forgot the tent. Your love is 